0: And I'm gonna try to teach a whole chapter tonight. That's kind of hard for me. I mean, usually I try to take it verse by verse and go all the way through. And sometimes I like to like sit at certain passages and stop for a while and just go on. So I'm gonna challenge myself to get through chapter seven all the way tonight. So I'll see what happens from there. So we'll read the first few verses and then we'll just get into our study. We'll be at verse one in chapter seven. It says, then Jeroboam, that is, Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the wall of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites in their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And whoever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So let's pray over these passages. Father, we thank you for this word tonight. We ask that you would... um, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, illuminate our hearts and our minds in this message um, so that we just learn what you have for us, Lord. May may we be open to what your spirit has to say uh, to us as a body of believers. And may you just be uh, glorified in and through this message, Lord. And and if anything remotely wise comes from me, again, Lord, may you always get all the glory for everything coming from me. So we thank you for this passage and we thank you for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So as we enter into chapter seven in the book of Judges, we'll continue to see the faith of Gideon grow more and more in the Lord as Gideon is obedient to the call of God in his life. Especially as Gideon carries out the the mission of God against the Midianites who were oppressing the people of Israel. And as we previously studied, uh, the Midianites, they were extremely brutal, if you guys remember, in chapter six, they were extremely brutal, extremely harsh towards the people of Israel. And so much so that we read in Judges chapter six, verses two through six, it says, because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So it was whenever Israel had sown, is that an earthquake? I was like, man, maybe I thought it was a truck or something. (laughs) Yeah. Hey. Felt that, did you feel that? I felt it, so I was like, First, I was like, that's the stage or something? <laughs> it's the power of God, praise God. But again, getting back to uh, Judges chapter seven. Everybody's good though, right? All right. <laughs> As we previously studied the Midianites, they were very harsh and brutal towards the people of Israel. And so much so that we read in ver- uh, chapter six of uh, verses two through six of Judges where it says, Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the stronghold which are in the mountains. So it it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. And so because this was happening, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for deliverance. And the Lord answers that prayer. And with that prayer that he answers, he raises up Gideon as a deliverer and as a judge for the nation. But Gideon, as he's starting out his walk of faith, he has a lot of doubts about himself. A lot of doubts about himself and about his capability as a leader. And even just the task that God has called him to accomplish. But, Gideon, as, he, as, but as Gideon walks in obedience to the call of God in his life, and he takes those steps of obedience, the Lord continues to reveal himself More and more to Gideon, and he established him as a leader in the sight of the people and as a judge. And we see that. For example, if you look at Judges chapter 6, verses 34 and 35, it says this. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Azarites gathered around him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. So this right here is the first time we read that the Spirit of the Lord has come upon Gideon. And as the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, he brought the men together to gather them for battle against the Midianites. But this only happened, if you look at this, this only happened when Gideon was obedient to God and he tore down the altar of Baal first and destroyed the wooden image that was in his father's household. And he built an altar to the Lord, basically declaring that him and his household, they were gonna serve the Lord. And that right there, that's practical for us to understand. It's practical for us to know because, again, if you want to see the hand of God move in your life, if you want to see the Lord reveal himself to you more and more as a believer, then we need to walk in obedience to the Lord. Because just like Gideon, when God calls you into a leadership position, he begins to reveal himself more and more to you as you walk in obedience to him, especially in his call, call that he has for you in your life. And it's, again, it's not just in the leadership capacity that sometimes we only think it's just leadership, but it's in our everyday walk with the Lord as well. Amen. And if you're called to a leadership capacity, if you're called to a ministry capacity, or even just in your regular job or whatever you're doing, wherever you're at in the Lord right now, again, the Lord will equip you, always will equip you, and the Lord will establish you in the sight of all people and he'll give you credibility in the sight of all people as a leader. But again, that only comes by Being obedient to the things of the Lord and what God has commanded you to do. And we need to remember that it's not just about being obedient to God in the big things that he calls for us. It's about being faithful in the small things as well. It's about being faithful in your home, in your household. It's about being faithful to God when 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 people are not looking. For God is always looking, but you know what? People don't always see what we're doing. But again, the Lord knows. So being faithful in that which is least... And as you do so, watch what the Lord does in your life. Watch how He blesses your life. Watch how He reveals Himself more and more to you. And you grow in a deeper relationship with the Lord and grow in more understanding of God and His ways. As it says in Psalm 103, verse 7, it says, He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the children of Israel. So as you grow deeper in your relationship with God and you walk in the ways of the Lord, this is what begins to happen He will reveal Himself even deeper. And deeper that you than you understood before in your life before, and you're going to have an understanding of God and an understanding of His ways and understanding of how He works. And this is with the same with all believers as well, all those who want to walk with the Lord. When you take your when you take God's word seriously and you put it into practice, and you have a hunger and you have a desire to know the Lord in your life then like I said, the Lord's going to reveal himself to you. He's going to manifest himself to you. And that word manifest, when you think about that, it means to display, to exhibit, or to show something clearly through signs or actions. And it was Jesus who said in the gospel of John chapter 14, if you keep my commandments, then he says this, then you show that you love me. And the one who loves me, even Jesus said, he's all, he will be loved by my father, and I will manifest myself to him. And Jesus also said in John chapter 17, verses six and seven, he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. So again, when you take God's word and you act on it in your life for yourself and you put it into practice, then God begins to work deeply within your life. He begins to work a, a deep work within you. It's like the psalmist said in Psalm 42 deep calls unto deep. And the Lord, like I said, he works that relationship within you, and you begin to grow in your understanding, and you begin to grow in the ways of the Lord, not just knowing his works, but just understanding God's ways. It says, the psalmist said in Psalm 94, verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law. And as you, again, as you put into practice what you've been taught, and you follow the ways of God and his word, and you start to grow in that understanding of the Lord, you become a spiritual person pretty much. And even people around you will begin to recognize within you, hey, you know what? The Lord is within this person. They can see that the Lord is growing you. He's uh, deepening his relationship with you, and you're acquainted with the Lord, and you're familiar with his ways. And as the spirit of God is moving in and through you, he establishes you in the sight of either a ministry or people as in leadership. And that's what we see what's happening with Gideon. He's being established in the sight of Israel. And he's being recognized as a leader amongst the men, as one who follows the Lord. So again, moving into verse one of chapter seven, verses one and three, it says this. Sorry, my throat's a little hoarse tonight. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with them rose early and encamped beside the wall of Herod, so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people return, and 10,000 remain. So right here in these passages, we start out seeing Gideon with about 32,000 men who've answered the call. 32,000 men he's recruited to take on the Midianites. And all these men, they're camped near the, the well of, of Herod, or Herod, in which the well of Herod it was a spring it was a, or a creek of water and it winds eastward. Um, heading towards the Jordan River, which goes through the uh, Herod Valley. And the men are camped out over there at the base of the hill near the spring is basically where they're at. So from where they're at, the Midianites, their location, they're only about three or four miles uh, north of them for where Gideon and the men are. So the Midianites are not that far away from, from them. So what happens, the Lord speaks to Gideon and he tells him, hey, you know what, there's too many men with you. There's too many men with you for me to give you victory and that you need to thin the ranks of the men that, that are with you. And I even couldn't imagine even Gideon right here, him even thinking like, wow, you know what? I gotta thin the ranks of these men and get rid of, I don't even have enough people in the first place to take on this army. Because when you think about it, the Midianites had 185,000 people. And Gideon, he only gathered 32,000 people. So when you think about the numbers, I mean, completely you know outmatched, outnumbered. But Gideon does what the Lord tells him to do. And so he goes over to the men and he starts even shouting to the men. He says, you know what? Whoever is fearful, whoever is afraid, let him turn and depart at once. And what happens? It says 22,000 of the people returned. Man, and you think about it, it's like, wow, that's just crazy. You know, <laughs> People just got up and left. They're like, hey, you know what? I'm afraid. I'm gonna, take, I'm gonna go over here and sit it out this time. So, and that's a lot of men that take off from the battle. A lot of people that don't wanna get involved in the fight. And it just shows you how much fear the people had from the midianites because again you, you have 32,000 israelite soldiers who show up it's people that are supposed to be men of battle but then gideon says that whoever is afraid they can leave and it's just like man 30 uh, you know 22,000 of them take off so again it paints a picture of the brutality of the midianites and how they were towards israel So why is the Lord doing this? Why is he thinning the ranks? That's this question I always have. Why is he doing this? It's because the Lord knows that the Israelite people can become proud and they can walk in pride. And they begin to proclaim glory for themselves and a victory that God has only given them. Because even when you think about this too, this happens with people as well. The Lord begins to bless us in certain areas of our life. He begins to give us victory in certain areas. Or we become very successful in a business or even on our job, or even successful in ministry work or in the church. And instead of thanking the Lord for what he's done, you know, because of our success, what happens with people at times is they start to take the glory from the Lord. That happens often. They take the glory from God. And they start to boast in themselves and they start to proclaim themselves and say, you know what? Look what I've done. Look how great I've become. Look how much wisdom I have. Look how much planning I've done. Hey, you know what? All this happened because you know what? I put this together myself. And people start to boast about themselves or how well of a devised strategy or plan they had or they came up with, you know, because they had a victory. And instead of giving glory to God for what he's done, and this easily happens. I saw this many times myself, even when I was working in the sheriff's department with, you know, people in the department and even officers having this type of attitude, taking glory for themselves of only what God could give someone. And I've also seen this in the church too. I've seen this in the church with plenty of people where people take, like I said, glory from God from what he's accomplished and they start looking at themselves and start getting puffed up with pride. And it could happen a lot, it does happen a lot, especially when you're being um, in a, a time period of success. So that's always a scary period. Here's something else, too. Even if you're a minister and I'm up here sharing, it's not me that, like I said, I share. It's the Lord who speaks through me. Sometimes people have a tendency to look at the vessel up here and start to give him all the praise. And it shouldn't be that way. They should always say, you know what? I'm thankful that the Lord is working through this brother or sister or sister. That's what it should always be. It should not be looking at me or looking at me as like a, either a, you know, a pastor or a speaker and saying, you know, this man is great. He's done all these things. Because, you know, again, sometimes I could elevate a person's head into pride. And I'm thankful for people that say, hey, thank you for the message you've given. But again, some people have a tendency to put their uh, eyes on the person and not on the Lord and not on the work that the Lord is doing. So we need to be careful with that. Because, you know, even with, as a person that's speaking, it could be a real danger even for that person because they start to think, you know what? It's because of my great communi- uh, communication ability that these people are able to understand. So you, you don't want to do those things. It's always the Lord, it's always you just being a vessel of honor for the Lord. And that's something I always need to remember myself. I don't take glory or credit for what the Lord has done. Again, I'm just a vessel being, you know, used for God's work. And as the scripture says, and I always love this verse right here, it's Isaiah 42, 8. And it says, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. And this is one thing I've observed even in my lifetime. And from those that walk in pride, and this is a big one right here. The Lord has a special way of humbling people that walk in pride. To walk in pride and those who take glory from him. And I've seen the Lord humble people and remove them from positions of leadership because, again, the glory goes to him. He doesn't share his glory with no one. I'm just a vessel for his honor. And I'm just grateful that, you know, even the work he's done in and through me over the years. So, but again, I've seen that over time where the Lord will humble somebody. Anybody that's taken pride from the Lord, he, he, he will deal with somebody. Taking, taking glory or taking fame from the Lord. And that was what God was concerned about with the Israelites. He was concerned that that would take place with Israel because the 32,000 men, if he gave them the victory, then they would boast about themselves and they would start to say, you know what, how hardcore of a fighting unit we are. we we're so tough over here. You know, it's because we've trained all these years. It's because we were ready for them. They came and you know what, we were ready and you know, we just kicked their butts. And, And that's what they would have been saying, something like that. So the Lord says this, hey, you know what, I need you to thin these ranks, thin this crowd out right here. So that again, it's God who gets all the glory. And another thing we can see from this passage as well is that the Lord didn't want Gideon being afraid. He didn't want him being afraid. He didn't want him being fearful, especially during a time of battle. Because what could happen is that if you're heading out to battle with a large number of men and all of a sudden you have a group of people that are with you, and they start to become afraid or fearful or begin saying things like, you know what, man, you're talking to somebody that's in your group and say you're in the military group or you're gonna take somebody on, and you're like, you know, I'm afraid all of a sudden. You know, I might get destroyed. I might get killed. You know what? We need to just surrender instead of going out to battle. We don't need to do this. Then what's gonna happen, that's gonna be a real problem right there because you're gonna cause fear for the other people, and you're gonna cause them to uh, be uh, afraid of everything else as well. And when you read the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 20, it even talks about the laws of warfare. And one of the things that the Lord speaks about in the uh, book of Deuteronomy, it says when you're going out to battle, you are not to be afraid. Do not be afraid. And we read that in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 20 verse one. And it says this, when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses, chariots, and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them for the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. So there isn't even an encouragement right there. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. And even at the same time, as you look at chapter 20 of Deuteronomy verse eight, the Lord says this, then the officer shall speak further to the people and say, who is the man that is afraid and faint hearted? Let him go and return to his house so that he does not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. And right there, there's extreme wisdom by the Lord in that passage. Because again, with an attitude of being afraid, with an attitude of being fearful, especially if you're in a military group and you're going out to battle, it's gonna cause the whole army to lose heart. And it's gonna infect others with fear. And it would breed discouragement amongst the army and the people, and it would cause a defeated mindset amongst the people as well. And again, they would turn and run in the midst of battle. And that's something that you definitely don't want, somebody running in the midst of battle. Here's something, too, people need to understand. If a person can get into another person's head and cause discouragement, especially if they're going out to battle or if they're going to go into, like, a, you know, a fight, let's say a UFC fight or even a boxing match or whatever you're going to, if you can get into a person's head and get into their mind that they're already defeated and you can bring that discouragement, then you've already won the battle. You've already won the battle. And it's the same for us as believers here. Because again, we're involved in spiritual warfare every single day. And we have a relentless adversary, Satan, who seeks to take us down and destroy those who follow Jesus. And the enemy wants to bring that discouragement. He wants us to be afraid, be fearful, and so that we don't um, advance the kingdom of God. And he's gonna attempt to get into our heads. He's gonna attempt to get into our heads, get into our mind and cause fear and discouragement and cause overwhelming situations. And for us, even just to have a defeated mindset, live defeated. So as I said before, you have to have the mindset that you're gonna stand for the Lord, that you're gonna stand in the midst of battle and that you're not gonna be afraid and that you're gonna be victorious in Christ because you are victorious in Christ. The Lord Jesus already won the battle. Always remember that. Read the book of Revelation at the last chapter. What's it say? We win, right? We win but the enemy wants to make it think that you're not gonna win, that your situation is overwhelming you and you're gonna be drowned in this. And you're done. But that's not true. So we gotta have the mindset, you know, even as David did in Psalm 23 verse four, where he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Or even as the apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 1, seven, this is one of my life verses. I love this verse. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And you have to have that mindset as a believer. Otherwise, the enemy is going to cripple you. He's going to cripple your life. He's going to cripple your walk with God. And he's going to make fear and anxiety just be a part of your life. And you're going to be ineffective as a believer. So don't believe, Don't buy into that. You're not defeated. So moving on into verses 4 through 7 of Judges Judges chapter seven it says, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them there for you, or t- test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you. The same shall go with you. And whoever I say to you, this one shall not go with you. The same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver Midianites, the Midianites into your hand. So what happens in this passage right here is the Lord tells Gideon, hey, there's still too many people with you. You have too many people with you for me to give you the victory. But I need you to do this. I need you to bring these men down to the the water who's ever left here. And I'm gonna test them here and I'm gonna separate these men from here. So Gideon does what the Lord asked him to do. And as the men are drinking at the spring of the water, there's about 9,700 men who had gotten down on their knees, basically, and they bent their heads towards the water and they put their mouth in the water like a dog and they were just pretty much drinking, like on their knees, just drinking like that. Um, so if you did that, you were disqualified. And how many people were disqualified for that? About 9,700 people. So that's a lot of people right there <laughs> so that did that. So, I mean, if I'm Gideon, I'm looking at this like, man, hey, this is a pretty thin army. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. But here's another thing that happens too. If a man knelt down by the water and scooped up the water with his hand, basically you'd be kneeling down and you'd be looking around at the same time. But you would bring the water up to your hands and then you would lap from there. That person stayed. But again, as they were doing that, as they were bringing up the water to their mouth, they were on the lookout. And the only people that did that was about 300. So you are talking about some thin ranks now. But this also showed right here, and this is something I was thinking about, practical application, that the men who brought the water to their mouth, they were aware of their surroundings. They were situationally aware of what was going on around them. And they were ready. Because the Midianites, they weren't that far away. They weren't that far away from them. So as they were drinking the water, they needed to be aware of the enemy was gonna be coming or was gonna launch an attack. And you could not do that if you bent down in the water and just stuffed your face in the water and started drinking. And you just stuck your head in there and you drank it up like a dog. You you weren't gonna be able to see your surroundings or any of that. And again, I think about that for us as practical application, even in spiritual warfare, even in the warfare that we face daily, we should be always sober, always vigilant. As, you know, the apostle Peter said, I should be aware of those things because my adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So I'm supposed to be aware. I'm supposed to be aware of the battle. I should be knowing what's going on. Because, again, like there's a great battle for light against darkness. And we read about that. We know that takes place, especially as even the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 and 12. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And wiles just means schemes, schemes, tactics of the devils. Be aware of those things. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And those are some pretty powerful verses right there because it, it makes us aware that there is a warfare that goes on every day. Well, here's the sad thing though. Most Christians are kind of oblivious to it. They're oblivious to what's taking place. They're oblivious to the tactics of the warfare that the enemy deploys against us and uses. And sometimes they're like the men right here. Their heads are down in the water and they're disqualified because they're not even paying attention to what's going on. And so it's important for us as believers to understand the mentality that there is a war, there is a spiritual battle, and that we need to be in prayer and know how to effectively navigate through it and just fight through it. Because often at times, there's what happens. The enemy is very subtle. He's very subtle. And he's very sneaky in his attack. Sometimes there's outright warfare. Sometimes it's very sneaky. And he wants you to make it think that it's something other than spiritual warfare that's taking place to you, some distraction or something that just happened in your life. And he'll try to make it seem like, hey, no, this is just a natural problem that occurred. But if you're walking with the Lord, always remember you're in God's will. I mean, nothing's just by occurrence. Things are going to happen. We do have an open enemy. Like I always tell people, and some some people are scares, but he does study. He does stalk, stalk us. And he wants to look at our maneuvers and see how he can trip us up. So we need to be aware of the battle that is around us. But one other thing I want to point out too before on this is that the Lord stripped down the army to 300 people. And that's crazy when you think about it, man. It's like only 300 people left to battle. There's no possible way that 300 soldiers would survive against 135,000 Midianites and defeat them. So we know for sure when they gain victory, it's of the Lord who gave the victory over the Midianites. We know for sure it's the Lord who gave the battle because it's humanly impossible what's gonna happen right here. And like I said, that's often how the Lord works within us. The Lord strips us down to nothing. He puts us in situations with overwhelming odds that are humanly impossible so that we depend only on him through it all. And like I said, I've been reduced to that many times. The Lord has put me in situations like that where he stripped everything from me. I have nothing else left except for to depend on him only and to rely on him only for victory. And it's taught me many lessons that nothing is impossible with the Lord and all glory goes to him and I don't rely upon myself. I don't rely on the wisdom of man or strength of man or anything else, but I rely on the Lord. And it's like what the apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 5. It says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's where it should be, and that's where it should lie in. And I don't have this in my notes, but I'll share it with you anyway. Um, even through my job, I was injured on the job medically. I was a deputy sheriff for many years, 16 years. I was injured on the job medically, and I needed a piece of medical equipment to, in order for me to continue my job. So what I, had was, I needed what was called a load-bearing vest so I could take the weight off my back. But what ended up happening with me is that my department denied my vest. I had some supervisors who even spoke ill of me, wrote some nasty emails about me saying I was pretty much weak and asking for this vest. So, what ended up happening to me is I was forced out of the job. And after being forced out, I I didn't even know what to do. I couldn't get any um, uh, medical um, paperwork going so I can get surgery. Cause I ended up needing surgery on my back as well. So I went through like two and a half years of just, um, real pain, pain in my nerve, pain in my back, even to the point where, you know, I, I couldn't even walk at times. I lost my balance one time when I was in the garage. This is why I was out on injury and I fell down and I, I uh, fractured my left elbow just cause I couldn't stand. And that's how much pain I was in my nerve, my sciatic nerve hurt so bad. Um, it was excruciating. I wouldn't even be able to stand up here right now if I wasn't able to get the surgery, but I had to fight like two and a half years just to try to get some surgery and just to get help. And while my I was being left out and I really had to depend upon the Lord and all that, he, he really fought for me. And I was like, Lord, I can't, I need you to fight for me in this battle. I need to get help. I said, my life, there's other people that feel better than me, but I, I, my body is just racked with pain. And it was on a scale of one to 10 for pain, I mean, at times, a lot of times it was at a 10 just being at the highest. And that's how much pain I was in. So by the grace of God, everything came through and the, I was able to get uh, a doctor and get surgery and, and move forward in those things. But again, I was really stripped down to nothing. And, you know, even praying about that whole thing, I did seek out an attorney and I did um, end up having to file a lawsuit because of what happened. And even in my lawsuit, it took about five years of what was going on just to get my back pay and everything else that was going on. But they were really coming after me, the, the county I was working for, and really putting me down a lot of ways. And um, I even had to go to court, this is several months ago now, to testify about what happened. And even when I was testifying, this, is, this was a crazy thing, I thought. They started bringing up my, uh, my, uh, my belief in the Lord, <laughs> My belief in God. So I'm on the stand testifying and they brought in some expert who was a psychologist and he said, well, yeah, this man, you know, he sees the world as black and white, right or wrong. He doesn't have a gray area. And I think it's because of his faith, you know. And he started saying that, you know, at an early age, he said he had some trouble as a young man. I was talking to him because I had an interview with him one time. I was talking with him and, you know, he talked about how he had some trouble with his father and then he forgave his father and he came, he came to find a real deep faith in Christianity. And I didn't tell him I found a deep faith in Christianity. I said, you know what? The Lord Jesus saved my life. That's what I told him. But he didn't want to say that in front of everybody. So I remember him saying that, but he's all, this guy is, you know, he's too morally upright. You know, he's too morally upright. And I think he just has a distorted view, you know, because of what he believes. (laughs) I was like, what, really? So I was like, how can I be too morally upright as as a cop? That didn't make any sense to me. But... (laughs) But yeah, but in that and through that, I had to testify and go through all that. It was a real battle and struggle and the Lord really stripped me of everything. And it was him who gave me the victory in the end. And I was like, praise God, you know? Even having to testify with everything. But again, 1 Corinthians 2, 5, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And if any man or woman wants to be used by the Lord, he must first break that man or woman in their life. That's true. He must break them down for them independence on themselves or others so that their dependency is completely on him and not on their own resources. And some of us have to learn that lesson at times. That's something that only the Lord can teach you. And again, it's as the apostle Paul, as he was talking about this, the apostle Paul also had to go through this same situation because he even says in second Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine, he says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And again, when we're weak, then we are strong. When we're stripped of everything, then we come to reliance on the Lord. Because in the life of a believer, especially if you're doing ministry work, the Lord is going to often ask us to do things that are beyond us, things that are impossible, things that just don't make any sense in the eyes of people. But it's also to show that it's his power, it's his glory. It's not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Because there comes a point in every person's life who's a committed believer when they're faced with a situation or a circumstance that's way beyond their resources or their capability to even handle. And the Lord is saying, you know what, I'm instructing you to move forward in this. I know this is beyond you. You feel this way, but I'm with you. And it's during that time we have to step out. We have to take that step of faith and we have to do what God has called us. Even if others are mocking and saying, you know what, what you're doing, it doesn't make any sense. just It seems foolish. But you do what the Lord's called you to do. Because you're going to have people, even in ministry, who are afraid. They don't have the same faith. They're not on the same faith level as you. They only look at what's out on the surface. And not what the Lord intends to do and not how the Lord intends to work. And sometimes those people can bring discouragement towards you. Because of their lack of faith. So don't give in to that discouragement. That's what I always tell people. If you know the Lord has called you to do something, step out. Step out and do what he's asking you to do. Don't worry about others, let the Lord work. Because he wants us to trust in him so that we rely only on him and his power and his might. So when the victory comes, all of the, the glory goes to who? It goes to the Lord. And it's also as Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 through 21, he says this, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. I love that scripture right there because he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And that's just one of my favorite verses. But moving on in verse eight of chapter seven in Judges, it says this, so the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. So right here we see that Gideon has separated the, the uh, men now. And he's kept for himself, what, the 300 men? And he sent the rest of the men home. But before the men leave, the men that were not chosen for the battle, this is what they said happens, is that they give them all what they had. So they give them their trumpets and all their equipment so that they can be successful in the war. And that's awesome to see right there because no one is upset right here. These men are not upset that they're not going to battle, but they encourage one another and they give them their supplies of what they had. And I was thinking about this. I'm like, this is really practical for us because as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, if we're doing a certain ministry work, if we're doing work for the Lord and the Lord has called us out, then there's others that can support us. They may not be able to be out there with us in the battle, But their hearts are with us. So what they can do for us is what? Supply us in the battle. They can pray for us. They can support us whenever they need. Whatever resources they have, they can give to us. So I thought that was pretty awesome when I was looking at it. And and most importantly, too, that they can pray for us. Because as you're doing the work of ministry, especially as you're doing the work of ministry, you have a target on your back. And there's a lot of opposition and spiritual warfare that happens, especially to those who are leading. And Satan seeks to attack those who are leaders, those who are leading a ministry or those who are teaching God's word. Because if Satan can take out the leader, then the people who uh, the Lord refers to as sheep, they'll be discouraged and they'll be scattered. That's what can happen, especially if a leader is taken down. So again, remember to keep those in prayer, pastors and other leaders and those who are ministering, keep them in prayer, give them your support, whatever you can just for all for the work of ministry because everybody in the end, it's, it's someone may, may, um, some may, may give the word, but others you know come by and get the harvest just as the word of God says. So again, looking at verses nine through 14 of Judges chapter seven, it says, it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp for I've delivered into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Periah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Periah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and Amalekites and all that the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number and as the sand by the seashore and the multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said... I I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. So, right here in these verses, we see that Gideon is encouraged by the Lord. And why is he encouraged by the Lord? Because again, Gideon started off with about 32,000 men, but it's only reduced to about 300 now. And he's got to go take on 135,000 men. And I can guarantee you that Gideon's a bit afraid. He's like, you know what? That would cause any of us in here to be somewhat afraid. Okay, is the Lord going to be with me? (laughs) Is this God talking to me? Am I going to walk, get this victory? But I can see, you know, even Gideon in his mind trying to fight off the doubt, you know, and just trying to go forward in the Lord. And the Lord sees this and he says, you know what? Go down to the camp. Go down to the camp and see what is being said. So, right here, we see that this is another sign that's given to Gideon. And Gideon heads out to that camp. He heads out there with his servant. And when they get there, they hear some Midianites. They talk, he's speaking of a dream that one man was telling another man at the camp. And he tells him, you know what? There was a loaf of barley bread that tumbled into the camp and it basically smashed all the tents, knocking them down and collapsing them to the ground. And then his buddy's like, hey, you know what? This is nothing but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of of Israel. God has delivered the Midianites into his hand. And to me, I was thinking, well, how'd this guy even know this? He was probably like, you know, a person who interpreted dreams, but also too, the Lord was probably speaking through that person to give Gideon encouragement. Either way, it was a divine message. It was a divine message to move forward, move forward in the things of God. Because barley bread, it was the food of common farming people, which represented the Israelite people. And the tents represented the Midianites and the Malachites, because they were nomads, they were raiders, and they moved from place to place, setting up their tent everywhere. And I can picture the person who interpreted the dream you know, telling the other guy, say, like, hey, man, this is, this is Gideon, the son of Joach, he's going to get us. And I can see the other guy who's listening is like, yeah, right. This ain't really going to happen. You know, we're outnumbering them. We're going to take these guys. I don't even know why you're probably saying this. But what happens with Gideon is he enc- he's encouraged and he's strengthened. And we read in Judges um, chapter seven, verse 15, it says this. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshiped he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. So, right here, Gideon recognizes that God has given him victory over the Midianites. But notice the first thing that Gideon does. And this is something I want to hit on right here because this is big. It really drives home practical application for us. Because after hearing what's, what's happening, he's achieved strength and he's, he's encouraged. But Gideon worships God. He worships the Lord right there. He gave God praise. And this shows right here that Gideon is a worshiper and he's also a warrior. But before he went out to battle, this is what happened. Gideon worshiped. Always remember that. And that's where our hearts need to be. We need to worship the Lord, especially if we're gonna be men and women of God who are gonna take the gospel out to this world and we're gonna be on the battlefield. You need to worship the Lord. Or whatever battle you're facing, always remember that. Worship the Lord first. And let the Lord get the victory for you. And if we know, like I said, this is something that's practical. If we know that we have a job or something that could be difficult that we're dealing with or even ministry work or whatever it may be, spend time with God. Spend time with the Lord before you go out worshiping because there's always gonna be a battle out there. And there's a lot of people out there that wanna be warriors. They wanna be warriors for God, but they don't worship. Always remember that. They, they wanna be used of God and they wanna be used mightily. They wanna see miracles in their life and they wanna see the Lord move, but they don't spend that time with the Lord. They don't spend that time in worship. And you need to do that. And that's what we see with Gideon. And if your life, if, if your life in itself If all it's centered on is just meaningless things and you only worship on Wednesdays and Sundays here, and the rest of your time is spent on yourself, then you're gonna miss out on a lot of victory in your life. A lot of victory that the Lord wants to do in your life. Because when you worship the Lord, not only are you giving praise to God, but the Lord supernaturally strengthens you during that time. He strengthens you as you're in the midst of that battle. He strengthens you mentally, he strengthens you physically, as you worship him and also spiritually as well. And as you experience the victory in the Lord later, it's as a psalmist said in Psalm 138, verses two through three, he says, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. So again, praise and worship, it gives God strength in our life, strength in our soul. And we need to recognize that. Always remember that. And this is something I think I shared with you guys last time. You know, even when I was working, I still work now, part-time in some other areas. But as I'm I'm driving to the job, I like to put on worship music. Because I know I'm going to go out there and and do a battle for the Lord, whatever it is. I want to put on worship music or I'll get into the vehicle or I'll put on a teaching tape. Or sometimes I'll just shut it all off and I'll just pray and seek the Lord. Because you know what? For me, that's important because I know I'm going out into the battlefield. The mission field is out there. It's not just in here, but it's out there. So I need to remember that. And I want to be in prayer. And I want the Lord to strengthen me and equip me for works of service. But you have a lot of people on the same time that do the complete opposite, especially if they're going to work. If they're going to get into their vehicle or whatever, they don't listen to worship music. They're not listening to God's teaching. They're not praying. They're not doing that. They're listening to the latest political talk radio. They'll spend hours just listening to that or listening to some other thing or social media persona that doesn't really matter pretty much or just news channels. Even at home, they spend hours on news channels. And I'm not saying that you can't be informed. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're spending all your time and all your effort is put onto those things, then you're not going to have any victory in your life. And you're going to even be wondering later, man, why am I struggling in my life? Why am I having this particular sin that keeps overcoming me? It's because, you know what, I'm not worshiping God. I'm not spending time in the Lord's word. And I'm wasting my time on these things of this world. So we need to be careful in that, especially in this day and age in social media and the digital age we live in. Be careful in that so you don't get caught up because it's so easy with, at our fingertips, especially with our cell phone these days. And back when I was in the 90s you and I was growing up as a teenager, you didn't have no cell phone, it was a brick, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember that. <laughs> no social media on there, you know, that definitely didn't have a screen. <laughs> so, But again, spend time worshiping the Lord. Spend time with him, he will give you the victory from there. Worshiping and praising, it brings forth victory. Always remember that. Again, looking at verses uh, 16 through 22. of Judges chapter seven, it says, then he divided the 300 men into three companies and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and all, I and all who are with me, then you shall also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and 300 men who were with him came to the outposts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried out, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So right here we see that Gideon had returned with his, uh, to the camp and he's strengthened by the Lord's word And he's reassured of the victory. So Gideon began preparing the men and giving them each a trumpet, a pitcher, and and a torch. And the the, the torch was actually put inside the pitcher. And then he divides the men into about 100-man companies and then they go up to the outskirts of the camp. And then he says, you know what, this is gonna be a signal. When I shout the sword of the Lord of Gideon, they're gonna smash the pitchers and pull out the torches and just keep on shouting. And when you think about that, that type of strategy is ridiculous to take on an army when you think about that. There's no strategy there whatsoever. But again, the battle belongs to the Lord because, and it's him that wins this battle because there is no firepower or weaponry that's gonna be taken on these other men. Pitchers and uh, torches and, you know, horns, and not to fight people with swords, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's literally impossible. But again, it's, it's the Lord who wins the victory. It's the Lord who wins the battle. The weapons of man and the wisdom of man, they're useless against the Lord. And it's the Lord who always brings the victory. It's just as it says in Psalm 127, verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So, Gideon and the men, they head out to the base of the camp of Midian and on the outskirts. So, they came upon the Midianites at about um, the middle of the watch. In the middle of the watch, that would have been about 10 p.m. to about 0 2 a.m. And at the beginning, when the guards are there also, too, they're probably changing their post and everybody's leaving, especially at that time of the watch. So, but what happens is that Gideon and the men set themselves up and they light the torches in their vessels. And Gideon gives the signal to all the men and they blow the trumpets and they start smashing the pitchers, revealing the lit torches. And then they grab the torches in their left hand and they start shouting, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now imagine that scene for a second. You know, I I think about that. It's like, it's 10 o'clock at night. Most people are, you know, in their tents. They're probably hanging out, chilling or sleeping or doing something. And then all of a sudden, you hear some shouting and screaming and someone saying, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And then you start hearing like, you know, um, the uh, vessels being smashed and everything. And I was even thinking about that because I like to camp a lot. I don't know how many people out here like to camp. But I love camping. Is it, but as you're out camping in the tent, you know, sometimes you can look off, especially in the mountains. It's pitch black. So, but if you see somebody coming... And imagine somebody coming out there and you got all these people with lanterns and you hear smashing and then you hear shouting and you see all like somebody walking towards you. You would start to think like, well, what is going on here? So it'd probably like freak out anybody if they saw that. So I was thinking about that. I was like, wow, because they're all carrying these torches and just screaming as they walk towards the tents. And that would have been some serious shock and awe for some people. And it would cause a lot of fear and panic Because you're looking out there, you can't really even tell how many people out there because it's pitch black. So, But again, it's it's an awesome thing right here too because the Lord supernaturally intervenes and he sends confusion on the Midianite camp. And we read what happens in um, verses 21 and 22 in Judges chapter seven, it says this, and every man stood in his place all around the camp and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Bethacasia towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Mahala by Tabith. So right here, like I said, is each Israelite takes their position at the camp. And they keep blowing the trumpets and just shouting. And from when the Midianites are, there it looks like there's possibly thousands of soldiers. But they can't see because it's probably dark. It's real dark out there. So it catches them off guard, especially as they're sleeping. So what happens is the entire Midianite army begins to flee and they start crying out. It's like a total panic over there and it's just confusion and fear that's happening. And they, like I said, they probably couldn't see well. The Midianites, they can't see well. So what happens is that they start taking their own swords and they start turning on one another. So, probably in the midst of the panic, somebody's probably running up and they don't even know who they are because there's so many of them. There's 135,000. And just with the midst of the panic and confusion, somebody's running by and one guy has a sword and probably thinks he's an enemy and he starts slashing up that guy and takes him out. And then another guy comes and they fight each other. And that's basically what's happening. There's a lot of panic being going on. And they're just basically fighting and killing one another. And it was just mass chaos and confusion. And, you know, imagine just being there as an Israelite, just standing and watching that, seeing the mass confusion. But it would have been a crazy battle to even see. But it's like, you know, it's the Lord who who caused that right there. So what happens is the Midianites flee from the area and they try to go towards the uh, border of uh, Abel Mahala. And we read that the Israel pursues after him. For it says in verses 23 and 25 of Judges 7, it says... And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all of Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and seize from them the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering places as far as Beth Barah and the Jordan, and they captured the two princes of Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Orb at the rock of Oram and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Orb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. So just a few thoughts and we'll close right here. Gideon calls for reinforcements right here because the Midianites, they're fleeing from the area. So he calls on the tribes of Nath Lee, Asher, and Manasseh. And he also sends messengers to the tribe of Ephraim and tells them, hey, pursue after the Midianites. Because the men of Ephraim, they are actually in a, situated in a strategic location to be able to cut off the Midianites, their escape from the uh, fords of the river. And if you're not familiar with what a ford is, it's just basically a shallow point in the river where you can run across and cross over. So they cut off their escape. And what they do is they capture the two Midianite princesses, and then they kill them right there, and they, they chop off their heads. But this is warfare, so I don't want anybody be like, oh, man, what's going on here? But... They capture them, they chop off their heads, and then they bring their heads back to Gideon and they show them, hey, these guys are dead right here. We, we caught these guys and we killed them. But when you read about this battle, it's basically human impo- humanly impossible what's been done by Gideon. It's humanly impossible. You're looking at the sheer numbers that Gideon was taking on, 300 against 135,000 you know this was the Lord who, who gave this victory right here. And again, without a shadow of doubt, it was Gideon's faith and obedience to God that he was even able to get this victory over the Midianites. And so what does that teach us there? What does it teach us? It teaches us that there's nothing impossible for the Lord. Whatever battle you're facing, whatever you're facing out there, always know that the Lord can intervene. He hears our prayers. His ears are open to our cry. Always remember that. You're not alone, and he does hear you. He does see what's going on. He has not abandoned you. Sometimes it may feel like that, but that's not. The enemy will lie and say, God has forsaken you. That's not true. The Lord is always with us. And again, too, it wasn't because of Gideon's battle strategy or because of his 300 warriors that he defeated everybody or military might or genius. It was none of that. It was simply because Gideon was obedient. He was obedient and he believed the Lord. He walked in faith, and he trusted what the Lord told him to do, despite the fear. He still had courage, and he went forward despite the fear. And it says, it says in Psalm 20, verse seven, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And also in Proverbs 21, verse 31, it says the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. It's the Lord who always brings us victory, and never forget that. Whatever you're facing out there, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Always remember. So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for what you've taught us in this chapter. May we walk in obedience to you, Lord, and may we um, walk in faith. And may we just step out in faith continually, Lord, just to serve you and do um, what you've called us to do. And Lord, we, again, we um, ask that you continue just to equip us for works of service as we take your gospel out to the world, Lord. So, and we always want to just um, keep our complete trust and faith in you in all things, no matter what we're facing. In Jesus' name, amen.